0: On the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and now 7 and we're getting to the uh, end of this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has been laying out, hey, here's what it looks like for you to live under God's rule, in God's kingdom. This is what Christian life should look like, not how you become a Christian but what uh, what life looks like once you do become one. And now we get to uh, some of the final words of Matthew chapter 7. Uh, where we get some words of warning. Jesus ends with some very uh, tough and sobering challenges for us as the church. And so I just want to jump right in today, starting at verse 15, uh, because we've got uh, a bit of work to do this morning uh, together. So Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to start uh, in verse 15 down to verse 23, which goes like this. Beware of false prophets... Welcome to church this morning. This is what we're talking about today. Like, this is your nice fluffy summer message, right? This is what you came for, right? This is, what, this is what got you out of the bed and got you here. And it is not maybe what we expected. It's big, it's heavy, it's got imagery and language that is challenging to work through. And so I think it's appropriate that we stop, we pause, and we ask that God would help us understand what is really going on here. And if you would, even as I'm praying to that end, that you would pray for me and you'd pray for yourself even, that you'd receive God's word into your hearts and minds over the next few minutes. So Father, we, we come before you with this great privilege of, of freedom to read your word, to explore your word, to hear your word and study it. And have it be for your glory and for our good. And so I ask that that is what would happen today. That we would be challenged, but that we would also grow and we would appreciate the beauty of the gospel. And the God behind that gospel. That good news. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Amen. So a couple years ago, uh, I went to Mexico for the first time. I was invited to go with this group that was going and uh, before I left and got on the plane to, to go there, we were going uh, not necessarily to a resort. We were going to go meet up with uh, some church and some uh, fellow Christians who uh, were living kind of in a suburban area of a city. And I was talking to some friends of mine who had been to Mexico before, and they were giving me some pro tips, if you will, as to what uh, to expect when I went to a different country that I'd never been to before. And so they're, they're telling me about, you know, the language and uh, some customs and that. Uh, but they're also telling me things to avoid that might hurt my body because they're unfamiliar to me. I might see where I'm going with this. Uh, one of the things they were saying was, you may, you, if you're going to drink water, make sure that water is from a bottle. Okay. If it's not in a bottle, don't let it touch your mouth, touch your hands. Like, they're just going off. Like, make sure it's from a bottle, right? And I was like, okay, I can do that. I don't want to spend a ton of time in the washroom that I don't need to. Like, that's, that seems fair. I'm going to, I'm going to grab onto that. But then they also said, and by the way, there's something that not a lot of people realize about the water, too, is that it's uh, kind of attached to some foods more than others in this country. And so one of the things you might want to avoid is lettuce. I'm like lettuce, I'm like well, it's green and it's a vegetable, so that shouldn't be hard for me. Uh, I can avoid that easy enough, right? And uh, and they're like, yeah, because the water seems to just kind of really grab in there, and it's like basically like you're drinking it, right? Another reason you don't eat vegetables: there's too much water in it, right? And so uh, we get to the kind of the end of our week there. Uh, We'd all in our group been avoiding the water. We all kind of knew, you know, you drink the bottled water because our stomachs aren't used to the stuff from the tap or the wells or whatever it is. And uh, we get to this big meal that this this group at a church had put on for us. And it was kind of one of those things where there's a bunch of food laid out on the table. And you just kind of grab from all these different bowls and plates and dishes uh, to build your own thing. And one of the ingredients, would you believe, on one of these bowls uh, was lettuce. And so I'm like, no way, like that's, I, I know what to do here. Uh, and unfortunately, I wasn't a very good uh, teammate because I did not pass this warning on to the rest of my group from Canada sitting at the table with me Right beside me, some of them, uh, because I didn't want to make a big show of it. Like, guys, get that lettuce, like smacking the lettuce out of their hands. Like, I'm not not doing that because I don't want to be rude. But at the same time, I also have this tension of like, well, I'm kind of concerned that this is going to be bad for them, but oh well, whatever, it won't be bad for me. And sure enough... Sure enough, it became a problem for some of us more than others, and I noticed uh, all the way into the airport terminal on the way home. Some of us seemed like we were really struggling to get to the flight because we were spending longer uh, not at the terminal, but in the washroom, and I'm like, where is everybody? Oh, right, they ate the lettuce, right? Like, they've got some gastrointestinal Difficulties, and they're you know they're praying to God to help them in the bathroom or whatever, right? And uh, I think we can all appreciate warnings, right? Like this is kind of a silly example of a warning about travel, uh, but all of us understand that warnings are meant to help us. Right like I know people who are in Hawaii right now and this last week it looked a bit scary because a hurricane was headed like right for them and actually did kind of hit them in some parts worse than others and unfortunately we've got technology we've got you know the weather forecast to tell us hey be prepared because this is going to happen so they can grab you know their bottles of water they can find shelter they can be prepared for when reality hits them warnings are helpful they're not meant to just you know be something we just toss aside lightly. And I think the same is true of scripture. When we come to a warning, especially a warning like this in Matthew chapter seven, we better be sure that we're paying attention because it's meant to help us. It's meant to help us. And so what we need to grab onto this morning is this idea that Jesus wants us to be alert to the danger of being misled by others and being misled by ourselves. He wants us to be alert to these dangers of being misled. We're going to walk through the text uh, uh, fairly slowly. I actually thought of you know, titling this message the scariest words of Jesus because there is something so sobering and real about the impact of how these words land. And some of the language is even a bit unfamiliar for us. We don't talk about things this way. And so uh, we're going to go through fairly slowly, jumping through uh, hopefully every uh, word as we go to see what Jesus is getting at and how we can grab onto these warnings. Uh, We're going to do so by looking at two kind of major sections as the text is even broken up. One, uh, the first one being about false prophets or others who might be misleading us. Let's start there and move towards uh, the danger of being misled by ourselves. So verse 15, if you want to jump back in there, where he says, Beware of false prophets. Let's just stop there for a second. Well, prophets, that might not be a familiar term for some of us. Like, what's this about? Basically, it's people who come uh, because they have, uh, or at least they say they have, a message from God and they want to pass it on to us. They want to instruct us. They want to lead us and shepherd us in certain ways uh, so that we hear from God accurately and, and grab onto his words. The problem is that Jesus is saying there's going to be false versions of these and that we need to be aware. Look, there's an alertness that Christians should have. There's an awareness that we, as God's people, should have about the world around us. And I think especially so in our 2018 culture, in a world of, of you know, there's thousands of podcasts we can access with teaching and ideas and opinions. There's thousands of, you know, uh, blogs and vlogs and Instagram stories and, and, you know, these little captions of pithy sayings that, that might want to teach us something about God and about the world. Uh, we live in a time where, honestly, uh, people do a lot of our thinking for us, don't we? Social media has really made this to be the case. You think of politics, you think of you know, uh, restaurant reviews, you think of opinions about products that you already have before you've encountered them because somebody with a loud voice or a lot of uh, influence or a lot of following has told you it is this way or that way and so they've done your thinking for you, which can be very helpful but can also be very harmful. Sort of a, a kind of a silly example of this is I've got a friend in Alberta who uh, uh, shares a similar taste in movies that I do. And so when we go to a theater at different times in different provinces, we'll often you know, text each other afterwards and be like, whoa, like, did, you, did you check this one out or did you see this or did you see uh, the message behind this one or the special effects in that one? And recently one happened where I texted him and I was like, hey, uh, did you check out this movie? And he's like, I did. And I was like, it was awesome, right? And he's like, No, it actually wasn't. I was like, what? And he's like, no, uh, there was this and there was that and the other thing. And I'm like, yeah, those were there, but did you realize that those were vastly outweighed by this and that and that other thing? And he's like... I didn't even remember those were in there. And to be honest, I actually left for the bathroom partway through the movie. So I might've missed that. I'm like, ah, why did you think this? He's like, well, I went home and I, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos about the movie and I read a bunch of movie reviews and therefore I thought it was a bad movie. And I'm like, you've done, you've let somebody else do your thinking for you. What's going on. And I think this is true, not just of silly things like movies. The danger is, is that it could also be about theology, about the gospel, about God's word. And so this uh, up front may not seem like we really need to lean into this, but we definitely do because it is an incredibly relevant warning for us today. Even the, these next words, beware of false prophets who come to you. Like this isn't a problem just out there in the realm of, of you know, the, the secular world or, or our culture. This is going to be a reality in the Christian culture. In the Christian circles and in churches and and Christian podcasts and all of that. Because this isn't just a one-off warning from Jesus randomly thrown into Matthew 7. You'd be hard-pressed to find a book actually in the New Testament that doesn't have a similar type of warning. Uh, Just to to give you a a few here, in Acts chapter 20, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, talking to a group of leaders in the church in Ephesus In verses 29 to 31, he says, I know that after my departure, so after he leaves them, and the language here is even interesting, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Another one, a different guy, Peter Apostle Peter writing uh, in 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse uh, one and following, he says, but po- false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, so untruths about the core issues of our beliefs, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Look, you can check out 2 Corinthians, you can check out 1 John, you can check out a bunch of places in the New Testament. The reality is is that this is a big warning all throughout to not be misled and you need to be alert to this because it's dangerous. And it's also dangerous because it's not necessarily obvious all of the time where Jesus continues here and says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. See, in that time, the, the shepherds who would lead and care for their sheep would wear uh, sheep's clothing. It was the right thing to wear. They would dress up uh, in, the, in the clothing made from their own flock. And so this is the right thing to wear. This is the right appearance. This is the right type of thing to have on you. But the problem is that even if the external looks good, the internal may not be the case. There's a disguise happening. And so there's, it takes a bit of work to understand what's actually going on. Up front, it might look good. Up front, the podcast might have the right label and the right Christian branding. Up front, the, the, the person might even be using the Bible. But beyond that disguise, there's something dangerous but the good news is, Jesus says in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. And then he gets into a couple of illustrations uh, to describe this. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Like there's a lot of like weird stuff with like trees and fruit and you might get lost in the point of it all. The idea is that outwardly there's, there's good stuff happening, but inwardly there's a problem. Some commentators even talk about this whole language of, of thorns and thistles uh, really helpfully describing it, saying that even back in Jesus' day, there were, there were certain thorns, like the buckthorn, that would produce grapes that looked, or they would produce berries that looked like grapes. And so you, at a distance you might go, oh yeah, that's, that's the right one, that's what I need to go for. There were certain thistles that had flowers on them that made it look like they're part of like a fig tree or something. William uh, Barclay comments on this type of reality saying, there may be a superficial resemblance between the true and the false prophet. The false prophet may wear the right uh, clothes, use the right language, but you cannot sustain life with the berries of a buckthorn or the flowers of a thistle and the life of the soul can never be sustained with the food of the false prophet offers it takes discernment it takes a bit of work to get out okay what am i trying to avoid and when jesus says that you're going to recognize them by their fruits like it would take a long time to study all the different bad teachings out there, like you'd have to go through a bunch of different cults, you'd have to go through a bunch of different offshoots of Christianity, you'd have to go through a bunch of uh, study into like, oh, here's all these different types of bad things. Maybe the quicker thing for us is to understand what good fruit is so that we understand what bad fruit is. Because it's not like these guys are, aren't producing stuff, they're producing fruit. They've got stuff outwardly that looks good. How do we discern the difference? And I want to say that the, maybe the easiest thing is to really get to know God's word so we can understand when it's not his word. You think of the, the study of uh, how people identify counterfeit things, they study the genuine articles so that they know how to identify the stuff that's not accurate, not right, not, not real, not authentic. That's what we need to be doing. There's no, there's no substitute for, for, for studying God's word so that we can understand how to avoid this danger. Like uh, this morning, I was I was thinking of uh, uh, how we're gonna plan out the service, and in our prayer meeting, uh, I was talking to Pastor Linda, I'm like, hey, could you bring out this stand here for me, and uh, and and all of that? Because sometimes when I'm carrying it, I'm like, I feel like I'm gonna crush my feet because it's like kind of heavy at the bottom there. And he's like, well, you know, the, you could solve that by going to the gym. And I'm like, well, thanks, Lyndon. Like that's that's real good. I know you go to the gym, so that's why I'm asking you. But it made me think actually. Oftentimes, especially when it comes to Bible reading, we acknowledge our problem. I hear a lot of people saying, oh, you know, if oh, I, I I do need to read my Bible more. Yeah, I don't make enough time for it. It's like me when I'm like, yeah, I should probably go to the gym more. Yeah, I should probably do that. Look, I've been saying that for seven months. It's not happening. There's no reality of me actually going to sign up for a membership at this point yet until I realize I can't lift this thing when somebody else is speaking, right? How many times do we just acknowledge the problem as if that's the entirety of our solution? That's the entire game plan to get towards the goal of reading God's word more simply by telling others, yeah, I should probably do it. And then we never actually do anything. Simply acknowledging that we need to do something isn't actually doing it. There's no substitute for this. Like I had this dog uh, when I was growing up. It wasn't a wolf. Uh, it might as well have been because uh, as far as I know by my count, and this is, could be low uh, based on things that I didn't see, but by the time that my dog had died, it had taken the life of 13 other creatures Like, this thing's a psycho. It's like a murderous little hound. It was like a little Jack Russell Terrier with 10 times the energy of any other dog I had seen. Uh, Basically, I kind of replaced that dog with my two-year-old and uh, a lot of energy. He doesn't kill things yet, hopefully. Um, But I'm like, look, the the easy targets for this dog were the ones where I let it out into the yard and these these creatures, like this one time, I opened up the gate... And there's this rabbit sitting there and rabbits are pretty quick, right? But it's not paying attention, it's not alert. It's looking the other direction. My dog's on it like 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 instantly before I could even acknowledge that that was a rabbit. The rabbit's not even breathing anymore. I'm like, "Whoa!" Look, there's no easier target for wolves than lazy prey. We cannot be lazy about our theology, about our Bible reading, about our understanding of scripture. Because that makes us just really easy targets. When Jesus says, Look, you will recognize them, what that tells me is that if we don't recognize them, it's because we didn't put in the work. We didn't uh, do anything other than just kind of let this happen to us. We've got to know His Word, we've got to be in His Word. And as we do that, we, we start to recognize certain things. And there's kind of two categories of wolves, if you will, that seem to be pretty common once you get a, an understanding of, of the whole counsel of God's word, the gospel from start to finish. One I would, I would label simply as like the artful dodger. They're spotted by what they omit or what they kind of pickpocket out of scripture to swindle us. Um... Our Kent Hughes uh, comments on this type uh, of wolf is saying, there's nothing apparently wrong with this messenger, but there are things that are subtly wrong, terribly wrong. In terms suggested by the immediate preceding context of the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about verses 13 and 14 here in chapter 7, there's no narrow gate in his message. He says many right things, but he also leaves out some indispensable points of belief, and that makes him exceedingly dangerous. So it's not necessarily by what they say, but what they do not say. Stuff that never makes it into their podcast, never makes it into their message, never makes it into a sermon series because it's just something they like to omit. And not just like little things like that Christians might disagree on, like theories and doctrines. These are core things. And the God's people were always familiar with this. Uh, there's examples all throughout the prophets uh, where God has these indictments and these warnings against false teachers. I'll give you just one from Ezekiel 13, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verses eight to 10, where he says, "'Because you've uttered falsehood "'and seen lying visions, "'therefore behold, I am against you,' "'declares the Lord God. "'My hand will be against the prophets "'who see false visions and who give lying divinations. "'They shall not be in the council of my people, "'nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel.'" nor shall they enter the land of Israel, and you shall know I am the Lord God. Why? Precisely because they have misled my people, saying peace, when there is no peace. And he goes on, and you could, you could look in, in Isaiah, you could look in Jeremiah, in like chapter six, eight, similar language, where it's like, no guys, everything's good, there's no challenge here, it's peace, but there is no peace not necessarily by what they're saying, but what they're not saying. Some common uh, omissions uh, from, from these types of, of artful dodgers, if you will, is there's no teaching on, on hell or judgment under the fact that there's actually a problem that Jesus comes to fix, which is strange because even in the context of Matthew 7 here, Jesus is talking about the fact that there's going to be judgment. There is two gates, there's two roads. One leads to life, one leads to destruction, you never hear about destruction. You never hear uh, the, the bad news of the gospel from these types of teachers. Maybe you never hear anything on morality or, or sexual ethics or things of, of those type of, uh, of teaching. Maybe we never hear anything about sacrifice and the, and the discipline of the Christian life. It's all about what you can get from God rather than the fact that God wants to give you life and move you from where you were when he met you. Lots of different types of things get omitted in this type of of wolf, but there's another type that we start to recognize when we get to know God's word and, and know it thoroughly, and it's not just these people taking stuff out. It's people who cherry pick. You can call this category the cherry pickers, guys who take the big themes of the Bible but draw them to wrong conclusions, or people who take you know little pieces here and there and and, and draw big uh, statements out of them that are completely false. Uh, Christian writer Kevin DeYoung uh, describes uh, wolves like this, saying that they ignore the whole counsel of God. This often leads to unbiblical conclusions that can sound biblical, such as, and these are, these are pretty accurate from what I've seen uh, growing up in the last couple of years and being aware of Christian teaching, such as, if God is love, then we can't have hell or moral demands that make me or my friends feel uncomfortable or unfulfilled. That's a pretty common one. It's a pretty big one I've seen. He goes on to say, if Jesus ate with sinners, then we should not be overly concerned about sin. God's sovereign over all things, then we shouldn't evangelize. Look, a bunch of these things are general truths pressed through to unbiblical conclusions. Even even Satan does this when he tempts Jesus. You can read about this in in Luke 4 where he says, hey, no, the, the, the word says that if you go through with this test I'm giving you, Jesus, that God's gonna protect you. And Jesus' answer is, actually, yes, it does say that, but it also says something else, that you won't put the Lord your God to the test. Things that sound biblical but actually aren't. Like I did a Google search yesterday of, of top things that Christians believe that aren't actually in the Bible, and I was like, "There's a lot of these." I hear them in, in small groups I'm a part of. I hear them. Uh, I see them posted in in uh, in our in our profiles and in our in our in our bios in in places in our, in, the, in the the status updates we have. I'm like, these aren't from the Bible. We need to be careful about these things. They're just because they sound, but because just because they sound Christianese, even. They're actually what God is saying because these dangers are real. So the only, the only solution for this is to really get to know God's word and know it well. And it's, it's, it's funny, I was thinking about this and this isn't directly coming from what Jesus is saying here because he's talking about wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm wondering if if we've actually moved so far into letting other people do our thinking for us and and grab and and absorb these teachings from, from our world, that it's not even just the wolves in sheep's clothing we need to worry about. It's actually wolves in wolves' clothing that we need to worry about. Like how much of our theology, how much of our thinking about God and the world is shaped not necessarily by his word or by good or bad teachers, but by pop culture. By the, the songs on our, on our playlists, by the the Netflix shows we watch, how much of our understanding of how we live the Christian life is built on those things? I've noticed a lot of songs, even like like in the, you know you look in the iTunes top one hundred or whatever, and a lot of these songs are about like oh you know it's just everybody should love me for me. It's a, it's good enough to just be me. I'm like that's a dangerous half truth if you throw that into scripture because yes it does say that Jesus came to die for us when we were sinners, but not so that we could stay sinners. Not so that we could stay as enemies. He wants us to move from where we were. He wants us to transform into his image. Things like, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Like, that's not in the Bible. That's actually the opposite of the gospel. God helps us because we can't help ourselves. We need to be aware of not just false teachers who are in, you know, in sheep's clothing, but also wolves in wolves' clothing too. And the, the better we get to know his word, the better we're able to identify these types of things. We really need to check ourselves. What are we believing and why are we believing it? Because, and as we move into this next part, it's not only do we need to be alert to the danger of being misled by others, we need to be alert to the danger of being misled by ourselves. Jesus goes on to say, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Up front, that's pretty frightening. People are coming to Jesus, Lord, Lord, and he's he's like, You're not entering the kingdom of heaven. Up front, that might make us a bit nervous, but look, this passage isn't gonna start talking about people who lost their salvation. It's about people who never had it in the first place because what I'm seeing here, especially in verse 21 already, is they have the right label for Jesus. They have the right title for Jesus. The problem is is that it's only an accurate label. It's not an active lifestyle for them because look, he says, uh, they're not doing the will of my father who is in heaven. If you're not doing somebody's will, That means they're not really running your life or dictating your actions or dictating your life, which then would mean they're not really your Lord in practice, are they? Like the other day, I'm like sitting on my phone scrolling through stuff uh, as any good husband would when their wife is in the room. And, um, yikes. And um, Janelle said something to me like, hey, did you do this? And uh, as I'm scrolling, I'm like, yep. And And then I stopped for a second and I was like, what was it again that she asked me to do? I know I did it. I'm just trying to be specific here. And uh, there was a bit of a pause in the conversation. We didn't have, we didn't have eye contact at this point. I'm like, oh man, the pause, you know, if you're married or if you've got a mom or a girlfriend or any woman in your life, there's a pause in the conversation. Probably not a good thing. Right. And um, I'm like, what was that? And she's like, you didn't. Cause you don't even know what I, you don't even know what it was, do you? And I'm like, no, no, I actually don't know what it was. Like, and she's like, how can you say wife, wife and not do what I say, right? Like, like this, this language here, this language, I'm not tell you what it was. Uh, this language here so closely looks like when Jesus talks to this group in, in Luke 6 and says, why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? All, all the Lord thing is for you is, is, is an accurate label, but it's not an active lifestyle. You're not actually submitting your will to mine. My will isn't the one that's driving your life. How about for us? How about for us? Is, is Jesus' lordship just a label for us or is it actually our lifestyle? Because he's saying that everybody who's got the label right, that's not, that's not what it takes. They're misunderstanding who Jesus is. He's actually Lord, actually he should be the one. We're following because true discipleship is, is obeying the words of Jesus. That's what true followers of Jesus do. And it's right here in the middle of these two verses that I want to point out that he says that the one who enters the kingdom is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So not only did these people get the lordship thing wrong, we're going to see in the next verse, they actually don't understand the saving work of Jesus either. Because in John 6, Jesus says, Look, this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I'll raise him up on the last day. They're getting the lordship wrong, but they're also getting the the, the saving work of Jesus wrong because what they bring forward is their resume of works. In verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? They're doing stuff. They're passionate. Even the repetition of Lord, Lord indicates like this isn't something they're just playing around with. They really mean it when they're serving Lord, Lord, did you not realize like, I drove my kids to youth for 20 years? Lord, Lord, did you not realize I helped out in kids' ministry? Lord, Lord, did you not realize I collected the offering when it was going by? Lord, Lord, did you not realize like I posted uh, stuff about you online, like, like God is good? Lord, Lord, did you not, like all these things, and Jesus is going, look, those things are, are probably good, but they're an outcome of salvation. They're not the means to salvation, What what he's saying to these people is like, look, you were thinking it was your works that were gonna get you to a place, but Jesus is like, it's my works that get you to a person. And I don't know why this is still a thing in in our culture where we believe that it's our effort that we gotta put forward in order to get to God. Because it seems like their gospel is that they just need to become better people. And that's a common enough teaching where it's like Jesus came to make bad or good people great. When in reality, the gospel is he came to make dead people alive. It's not about our works getting to a place. It's about his works getting us to him. And they're bringing forward this resume. You know, this this approach would work in in a lot of other religions where it's all works-based, where you gotta put your best foot forward. But Jesus is going, look, you didn't understand. First, you didn't understand my lordship, but now you don't understand who I am as savior either. And it's no wonder then that we get to verse 23, where he says some of the most terrifying, sobering words in the Bible. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's interesting that he even talks about their works here, because they bring forward their works, but he actually calls them workers of lawlessness. Because we understand when we come to believe in Jesus, when we make him our Lord, and savior, when he comes to rescue our life and then rule our life, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to carry out God's ways and to live the Christian life through us. You read in in Galatians 5 of the types of things that are produced, even the similar language, the fruit that is produced from the spirit in our lives. And it's good stuff. It's not works of lawlessness. These people didn't recognize Jesus as their Lord. They didn't recognize him as their savior. And they never had the Holy Spirit to, to live out the Christian life. This isn't necessarily meant to get us to go, Oh, panic, Like, how can I be sure I'm saved? Like, look, if you understand Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your rescuer and ruler, and you've entrusted your life to that, that's the gospel. And if you're feeling like, wow, I never, I never actually did that, then the beauty of the, the reverse thing here is that Jesus wants to know you. The invitation is there to get to know him. Don't let it be that he never knew you at the end of history. Because the invitation is there today. Because the will of the Father is that you look at the Son, you believe in him and have eternal life. In John 17, Jesus also says that this is eternal life, that, that, that they know God. We can't have eternal life apart from knowing him. And that's why these people have to depart. It's a heavy passage for an August Sunday but it's so important that we be alert to the danger of being misled by others and the danger of being misled by ourselves because true discipleship, really living the Christian life is about following the words of Jesus. So do we know them and are we actually obeying them? This is why we need to make sure we've got right teaching coming in because we need to make sure if we're following Jesus' words, we get Jesus' words to begin with, but then also live them out. The invitation is there to know him. This amazing God who, isn't it incredible that the problem for Jesus is that we as humanity don't know the king, the creator, the judge of the universe that he wants to and wants to lead us in a better way. I wanna pray that God would help us to not be misled by others. That he would help us check ourselves, evaluate our lives, to go, is Jesus really my Lord? Is he really my savior? Because if he's not, I can do that today and I can choose today to be more alert in my life by bringing God's word in and making a plan for that to happen. Let me pray for us to that end. God, how amazing it is that you wanna know us. How amazing it is that you made a way for that to be true not based on our works, but yours. A perfect son of God living in our place, dying a death we deserved and coming back to life to offer us God in a relationship, eternal life. May we entrust ourselves to that. May we lead people towards that. And may we be alert and aware of what's going on in our world so that we are strong and following you for your glory, for your mission, for the good of our families, for the good of ourselves, for the good of our city. And thank you that you are with us in the process. Not just that you warned us, but that you're with us as we live out our days. Amen.